Good morning, everybody. It's August 9th, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today. It's also a podcast. The name of the podcast is Slaying Bulls and Bears. It's available uh, for subscription on all the different podcast formats. This presentation is designed for use with both investors and financial advisors. Of course, each are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. It is purely for informational purposes. Well, we had a great week in equity prices after we had conflicting jobs reports. ADP report was a little weak. The Bureau of Labor Statistics report was quite strong. So we ended up with a positive week across the board in equities. Leading the way, emerging markets and small cap stocks were kind of getting through the earnings season for big cap stocks and small cap stocks are really dominating the earnings reports last week and will continue to do so this week. And they're doing quite well, thank you. With the strength in the Friday jobs report, we did get a sell-off in the bond markets. Interest rates went a little higher last week. That took the aggregate bond index down four-tenths of a percent. And the longer-dated U.S. Treasury index, the 20-plus index, was down about three-quarters of a percent. Let's get into the data and some of the happenings last week. Let's start with the manufacturing reports from both Marquette and ISM for the month of June. Marquette went to 63.4, that's ahead of expectations. New orders skyrocketed, second highest on record. Foreign orders rose as export markets began to reopen from the coronavirus-related shutdowns. Um, production was up bigly, strong. Efforts to clear out a lot of the backlogs. Those efforts, as I'll show you, have a long, long, long way to go. Good news there was we also saw big, big gains in employment. The ISM numbers were similar. They were strong, but not quite as strong. They're just two different statistical methods to try to measure the same thing. Here, they said, look, growth would have been even higher, and it was high at 59.5, but we're still struggling to meet the increasing demand, getting employees back to work, Supply chain issues are still very, very persistent. Nonetheless, the new orders continue to roll in and new orders were at 64.9. Problem was production can't keep up. Backlogs continue to rise. Nice thing though, we saw employment go into the expansion territory uh, in the ISM report. But this is a graph I've showed you a couple of times in the last couple of months. The red bars here represent recessions. When you come out of recession, your backlog of orders tend to spike high. You have big backlogs. That's where we are today. We've come out of a recession. We have a very, very high level of backlogs. In fact, if you look at the past three recessions, it's the highest on record. Usually, when you come out of a recession, inventories are also low. That's the orange line. Not only is the backlog the highest on record, but the inventories are the lowest on record. This is going back to um, the early 1990s. So I said it, it, it takes three recessions into account. This suggests economic activity and growth will remain strong for some time, continued job creation for some time as well. Speaking of which, we moved to June factory orders. They were expected to go up 1%. They were up 1.5%. Back out transportation still up 1.4%, a very solid number there. 
Now we move from manufacturing to services. The report's there for the month of July. Market uh, to have fell, but to a very high 59.9. It's the 12th consecutive month of expansion and the 13th consecutive month of expansion for employment. That's good news indeed, because the services sector was certainly more hard hit than the manufacturing sector. And of course, we all know the tech sector kind of did the best during the shutdown. The ISM number for services rose to the highest level ever, 64.1, well above expectations. New orders continue to skyrocket at 63.7. And also here, employment came out of contraction to 53.8. So, you know, we saw that jobs report on Friday. Again, I'm going to get to it, but we're seeing evidence of job creation coming back, which of course the Fed has to take note of. We're going to expand on that shortly. Automobile sales fell pretty spectacularly spectacularly to an annualized rate of just 14 and three quarters million. That was below a pretty wound down number. You can see it over here on the right. That's one, two, three consecutive months. Why? Continued problems getting needed computer chips, which has led to lower inventory on the dealer lots and therefore higher prices. Good to be a dealer, good margins, good to be a manufacturer, good margins. But there's only 209,000 cars, new cars in inventory in the US. That's the lowest it's ever been since we kept records on such things. The inventory to sales ratio at 0.8, also the lowest on record. So that's driving prices higher. That's 12.5%. This is kind of what I think, you know, when people talk about, well, this is inflation, indeed, but it's also transitory. We know inventories will go higher. We know the inventory sales ratio will get better. So we don't think we're going to continue to see 12% price increases as an example for uh, automobiles. So interesting. We go, we always get the ADP report midweek, and then we get the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is the government report at the end of the week. ADP report comes out, they had an estimate of 700,000. They came in at just over three, 330,000. And that was seen as a big miss, very, very weak. We did see the service sector pick up. We saw hospitality and leisure pick up. But in the end, it was considered really weak and you saw interest rates on the 10-year start to decline. We follow that up with the Bureau of Labor Statistics report, which blew past the estimate, revised the previous month even higher, much bigger gains reported in leisure and hospitality, big gain in education, in a month, this is July, in a month where you're normally seeing education separations because of summer. But now as schools are gearing back up, they're getting higher, they're getting the hires in a month where they're normally not getting the hires. So that was wonderful to see. Unemployment rate dropped to 5.4%. So all in all, that was a pretty phenomenal report. Weekly claims for unemployment fell to 385, back to a three handle. You know, I like to see a two-handle or at least a low three-handle, but we'll take it. We'll take what we can get. So remember I mentioned the two jobs reports. This is the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury, the generic yield, the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond. Going down, 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 as we're worried about jobs creation, the ADP report comes out showing 330,000. And we get all the way down to sub 115. We got into the looks like the 110, 111 level on that. But as the week progressed and we got some strong economic reports, 
ultimately culminating in the Bureau of Labor Statistics report that showed 943,000, you see the 10-year gets all the way to 1.3%. This is pretty clear evidence that what is driving Fed policy and what is driving rates is job creation. Everything right now we need to focus on to know where policy is likely to go, we really need to focus on this because the bond market is a big old liquid market and it's an efficient market. And these, these, these data points are just not coincidence going from the sub 115 to the north of 130 uh, as we turn around that jobs thing. Speaking of the 10-year treasury, I put this graph together this morning. This is the yield on the 10-year treasury going back two years. And you can see, you know, we got coronavirus shutdown, job loss, Fed, you know, Fed loosening, et cetera. We get all the way down to just over 50 basis points on the 10-year treasury. We get a huge run up to about 175 on the 10-year treasury. And now we've got this retracement. So this was a retracement. I think we're about done with the retracement. There are some folks that see 1% possibly possible on this retracement here. Uh, I think we're probably done. I don't really want to bet on an extra 20 or 27 basis points as it looks like there. I think we're going to go start trending back higher again. I think we go through the 175. Uh, you know, I had it said two, two and a half uh, by the end of the year. Obviously, we're getting a little close to that now. So I'm going to bring my estimate down to about 2% by year end for the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield because I think I'm pretty confident that the next several months will show that substantial uh, further improvement in the job situation that we know that Fed Chair Powell and some of the other more dovish members like Lael Brainerd are looking for. Speaking of Chairman Powell and uh, Governor Brainerd, um, this is what they're looking at. And this is why, uh, there's two reasons why they're not raising rates or curtailing the purchases. One, they believe the inflation data to be very transitory. And two, the jobs deficit. So the jobs deficit remains about 7 million below where we were. We were at about 158, uh, 159, we're at 152. Call that 7 million fewer people in jobs than pre-pandemic. And Chairman Powell, in his speeches and his interviews, talks about that 7 million deficit as we need to see substantial further progress back to that level before we will, we will reduce purchases or consider raising rates. Now, Lael Brainerd, now Lael Brainerd's interesting because she is widely thought of as perhaps a successor to Chairman Powell. She's even more dovish than Chairman Powell. And when she talks about the jobs deficit, she talks about it getting back to trend. So not just getting back to 158, but assuming this trend of growth continued, we'd be at the 161, 162 level before she felt comfortable. So this is why they say, look, we, we're, we're good. And because we're convinced that inflation is transitory, we can continue along this path. So it's jobs, not inflation, which are the key to determining when the Fed begins to lift off. And if you look through the recent CPI and the PCE inflation reports, they do, at this point, continue to support the transitory argument. There are categories within the report that are really what we call reopening categories. They account for about 10% of the categories in the CPI report, but they have recently accounted for 75% of the gain in the CPI. 
And if you take a look at the rest of the gain in the CPI, half of that was gasoline. Gasoline prices tied closely to oil, tied to the reopening, tied to supplies, commodity product, very likely to come down in the near future. So when you look at the rest of it, about 85% of the categories in that CPI are kind of cool right now, not really experiencing that upward pressure. If that changes, then the Fed will have a dilemma. But the way they look at it now, they see the jobs deficit as clear and the inflation picture as less clear. All right, moving on to uh, trade deficit in June, uh, 71 billion, massive record, excuse me, to, from 71 to 76, a massive record, imports up, exports up by less. Obviously, um, consumer demand coming out of the recession, lots of uh, stimulus money running around, imports are a big part of that, and that's driving that deficit, which by the way, is a subtraction from GDP. We also saw inventories up a little bit after a gain in May, a lot of consecutive months of increases in inventories. This is good, these are wholesale inventories, sales gained as well, but this means that uh, CEOs have confidence in demand going forward, otherwise they wouldn't build out those inventories. Well, we're just about through with earnings season. Uh, the average earnings surprise has been about 17%. We've had 376 out of 442 companies beat estimates. Uh, gains are across the board. Even things like utilities and, you know, and real estate and materials are seeing um, earnings surprises. So it's uh, very, very broad-based all the way across the board. In fact, it is the best earnings season on record. 85% uh, of the market cap is reported at this point. Uh, it's likely that if trend continues, year-over-year -year earnings growth will be about 94%. Obviously, it's being compared to a shutdown and brutal quarter a year ago, but the estimate was for 64%, and it's 94 In fact, tech is getting the slowest growth because it wasn't as impacted as much by the shutdown. And taking out tech, the other companies are growing north of 100% year over year, um, full year 2021 now looks to be about 44%. However, as I mentioned last week, the reaction to the beats is very modest. It's almost like, eh, we knew this was going to happen. We priced it into the market. So when a company beats its estimates, you know, in the next 24 hours, less of a price increase, half a percent versus 0.7. And when they miss, uh, typically you go down one and a half, this time it's about 2.2. That this little piece has me watching, has me concerned, not overly concerned. I'm still bullish overall. We're still overweight equities, as you probably all know. But I do, I, I do notice this and I, and I think about it. This week, we already got the job openings report this morning. It was an absolute blowout. We have more than 10 million, which is an all-time high. I just saw that come up on my screen as we were going doing this recording. Uh, tomorrow, um, labor costs, productivity, small business optimism. Big one on Wednesday is that July CPI. We want to, again, look through the categories. PPI, same thing on Thursday along with jobs. Good. Look through the categories, import, export prices, consumer sentiment. But all driving everything this week, I think two, two big items. Number one, obviously the spike in coronavirus infections um, and the continuing debate about vaccines or not vaccines or Delta variants or gamma variants and this big infrastructure bill uh, that seems to be moving through the Senate um, 
it's you know close to a trillion dollars. The Speaker of the House says it's not big enough. She doesn't want to do it. And uh, she wants three and a half trillion. You've got some of the more fiscally uh, aware or responsible or concerned members of Congress that are saying, hey, we're looking at the scoring from the CBOE. We're concerned that this can't be paid for uh, because remember, it doesn't really have any, uh, uh, well, they're concerned it can't be paid for. I don't want to get into the politics side of it, but those two things are likely to drive markets uh, this week. And that wraps us up. So thanks. Don't forget to subscribe and get us at Get Me Herb as a podcast. I thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to uh, doing this again next week.